Back in August, Pastor Ben approached me about the possibility of me preaching on November 27th. And Ben has never heard me preach, so I think he thought a weekend of a holiday would be a safe bet just in case it didn't go well. (laughs) He gave me about a month to uh, decide, and I eventually agreed, and I started praying for an idea or theme. And then right about the time of our 25th birthday celebration in September, I had a moment of nostalgia, and I walked out to the corner, the front of our property, and I took a picture of the sign, our banner that we had up, celebrating 25 years of worship here at Prairie View. And I had a moment of nostalgia, and I took that picture and I sent it to Dr. Pafford in Turkey, where he was serving our country. And my text to Carl said, 1,299 services later, Prairie View still glorifying God on the corner. Thanks for all you've done and given to keep the dream alive. Be safe, brother. And it must have touched Carl because he got really wordy and sent me back a dissertation, at least for Carl. And he wrote, most excellent. And for Carl, that's pretty, that's pretty good. Speaking of Carl and Mary, on Thanksgiving Day, they just celebrated their 26th wedding anniversary. So congratulations. Well, as I took a picture of that that banner, you know, it just occurred to me that the Aiton family has been at Prairie View for almost all 25 years. And I wondered to myself, what's kept us here? And before I go further, I want to just give a quick shout out to three people that, to the best of my knowledge, have been here since the first service. Unfortunately, they're all traveling today, so they're not able to be with us. So the next time you get a chance, give these three folks a hug and say thank you to Dennis and Sarah Montgomery and to Betty Dell. So again, I get back to that question. You know, what has kept us here? Well, some of the easy answers are, I'm a pretty loyal guy, and once I decide to do something, I pretty much stay. And when we came, we made a commitment to serve. But being all in and loyal, well, that's all well and good. And eventually, in 1996, I was invited to serve in a leadership capacity. And getting an opportunity to serve in leadership is a privilege, but it's a tremendous responsibility. And sometimes that burden can be heavy. About 15 or 20 years ago, I had worked hard to earn an incentive trip to Chicago. That involved a nice meal and an overnight for our entire family during the holiday season. And it was a celebratory trip. A payoff for hard work and a time to enjoy the holiday lights and festivities in the Windy City. And after a great dinner and later at our fancy two-room suite, we all retired to bed. And about an hour later, I couldn't sleep. So I got up and I went into the other room where Chelsea and Alexa were sleeping. And Chelsea awoke and said, Daddy, why are you awake? And I sat down and I explained to her, that I was kind of worried about our church. In fact, I was worried all weekend. I didn't know if some of the challenges that we were currently undergoing were survivable. And at the time, I was the elder chairman, so the burden was pretty heavy. And many years later, Chelsea and I still every once in a while ask each other, you remember that night in Chicago? And I'm not sure why we remember that, but I almost wonder, in fact, I asked her this weekend, she doesn't really know. But I wonder if that's the first time in her young life that she found out that her daddy worries too much. 
or that my life wasn't all sunshine, roses, and lollipops. And over the 25 years, you know, there's certainly been other challenges and burdens that have caused many others to leave or give up. So why did we stay? If leadership and caring for other folks is such a heavy and uncomfortable burden, why are we still here? Well, there's a couple answers to that, and one I took from some others. Number one would be from a book, Church Membership, by Jonathan Lehman. He says, as Christians, we're aliens to this world. This is not our home. But hold on, there is a place on earth where the citizens of heaven can, at the moment, find official recognition and asylum, the local church. Bill Hybels from Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago says, the local church is the hope of the world. But the real reason that we're still here, it's because of you and all the miracles that I've been able to witness over the past 25 years. First, we have to kind of look to the earthly definition, what is a miracle? Webster says, a miracle is a supernatural event or one transcending the ordinary laws by which the universe is governed. Linda, my wife, she loves to show me miracles and she really loves the sudden and accidental miracles. Me, not so much. I'm a little bit skeptical of the overnight, sudden, accidental miracles, but I do believe in miracles that I see that happen over a long period of time. You see, God's love for us is a miracle. We have an eternal, unbroken promise of his love if we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we begin the sanctification process. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And at least in my experience, that sanctification process doesn't happen all at once. It's a process that lasts our entire lifetime. Sanctification is what gives us and God great joy and comfort in this life. And when I see the Holy Spirit of work, when you can really see the difference in someone's life, I believe it's a miracle because it defies earthly logic and it transforms our human nature. So this morning, I want to share four of the miracles that I've witnessed And I have to give a disclaimer to those whose stories I tell. If the facts aren't 100% correct, please extend me a little bit of grace and forgive me. I only had a certain amount of time to prepare. And to the rest of you, because every one of you has a story that's worth telling. Forgive me that time doesn't allow to tell all of your stories. And even in the stories that I tell, these will be abbreviated versions. Miracle number one involves the story of the complicated mind of an engineer. You see, there was a husband and wife that heard a small whisper from God. They knew that something was missing. They wondered if they could find it in a church. They heard that their neighbor was going to Prairie View, so they thought they would give church a try. They'd been to larger churches in the past, but found that Prairie View seemed to extend grace and time in their slow and steady search for God. You see, the whole time I think they believed in God, but I don't think they really understood the Jesus connection. And when you have the mind of an engineer, everything has to make perfect sense. But over time, things began to make more sense. But all the while, they were dealing with a very frustrating health issue in the household. Their daughter had an autoimmune disease, that was, and they were being told that she needed a bone marrow transplant. 
But they continued to try all kinds of other things because they were told that the bone marrow transplant, at best, had a 50-50 chance of survival. Right about this time, this new building was under construction. And a large number of us helped in the construction phase. And that allowed a lot of us to bond, especially when we put the roof on, which was really a hard job. And at the end of one of those long days, I saw this young man down in the parking lot taking off his roofing gear and getting ready to go home. And I walked over to him and I asked him how his search was going. And he said, you know, I'm almost there. It's all making sense. But then he said something that you should never say to a person that sells life insurance. <laughs> he says, but you know what? There is no rush. There is no hurry. There is no ur urgency. And I said, Joe Fenimore, of course there is. You have no guarantee that you'll wake up tomorrow. And he seemed a little bit taken aback by my sudden response, but he seemed to agree and we parted for the night. And it was a day or so later and I was up painting the sprinkler pipes and I came down from the scissor lift and I walked towards the front. And Joe Fenimore walked in and he looked me in the eye and he says, I did it. And I said, oh, what did you do? He says, I prayed the prayer. I'm in. And it happened right up there on the roof. Right up there above that ceiling fan, right in the back. And we, I congratulated him and we hugged and we parted. And eventually Joe's further discussions with his wife, Sharon. They prayed that same prayer together and they were both later baptized. But like all of us, the typical struggles didn't go away. And Sarah's autoimmune disease didn't go away either. So they finally had no choice but to opt for the scary bone marrow transplant and the real realization that she might not make it. And I think it was one event that helped our church really learn how to pray. I know it did in our leadership group because there was some great urgency in there because Sarah might not make it. And after she went through the transplant, she spent several months in isolation. And now... Let's just fast forward 10 years from that moment on the roof. The miracle of the Holy Spirit has continued to work in the life of Joe and Sharon Fenimore. Both Sarah and Jonathan have been saved and baptized. Sarah survived the transplant, and although she's continued to deal with some, some, some health, lingering health issues, next May she will graduate from the IU School of Nursing so that she can begin to help others through their individual journeys in a way that only someone that's been there can. And in the midst of all that, Jonathan attained the ultimate rank of Eagle Scout in scouting, and he too in May will graduate as a computer engineering um, graduate from Purdue University. So Joe, Sharon, Sarah, Jonathan, thank you for hearing the whispers of God and saying yes. Miracle number two is a story that begins in 1998, 18 years ago, when a young mother of two perhaps heard another one of those whispers and decided to go to the church near the entrance to their neighborhood. It was a search that she began on her own. You see, her husband was unchurched. And it's a search, search that many of us have. Something is just missing. But I wonder if maybe perhaps there was more in the back of her mind because she knew that both she and her husband had come from divorced homes. And like all of us, there was a bit of dysfunction. And so maybe she thought, what could be found within the walls of a local church might help them stay together and maybe do this generation better than the last. 
And eventually, through the teaching of Pastor Joe, this young mother eventually decided to get baptized along with her son. And Pastor Joe told her that he needed to come by and talk with her first, but she needed to make sure her husband was at home, as he couldn't visit her alone. And so it was during that visit to Kathy and Craig Hunter's home that Craig says he was chastised a bit by Pastor Joe and encouraged to support his spouse in her spiritual journey. So he did attend the baptism of both Kathy and Nick in 1998, and he made a deal with Joe that under one condition he would start coming on Sunday as long as Joe wouldn't criticize him if he missed a Sunday when he had something else to do. But eventually later, he and Sydney got baptized in 2003. And then I heard a story that one Sunday, church and Christmas landed on the same day like it, like it is this year. And later, Craig told me that he made it clear that the family traditions would not change one bit if there was any conflicts with church. But over time, the attendance of the whole family became more regular. And one of our elders at the time, Tim McCartney, invited them to serve as greeters. And they jumped right in, and they still do that today. And then Craig saw a financial need and volunteered to clean the church. And he did that faithfully along with the whole family every week for the next four to five years until shortly after we moved into this building. You see, Craig is a born leader. Craig is somebody I'd follow up a hill into gunfire. Because he leads kind of a big deal at work where he manages over somewhere between 250 to 300 employees at the Meyer Superstore in Noblesville. And leaders are always asked to lead things. So Craig, he could have volunteered for many things. But when he was asked to join our newly formed administration team, perhaps he heard one of those whispers. And he said yes. And he joined that team and eventually led that team for several years. And in 2008, he was asked to join the elder team. And after an extensive interview process, he simply said, I'm not good enough. And we said, welcome aboard because you're just like us. And so since, night, since 2008, he has served on the elder team. And in the last six years, he has used his gifts and skills and leadership and served as our elder chairman. And now Craig says they organize their family traditions around the schedule of the church. I talked to Craig last week and I said, uh, so what has kept you here for 18 years? And he says that, well, when he gets involved, he's kind of like me. He goes all in. He's a pretty loyal guy. And then he said he shared. And I didn't really know this. He says, but I've had opportunities to move up in the Meyer organization. But when Kathy and I have talked, one of the considerations is the fact that we would we would really miss the church that we love. So they've stayed in Fishers. And he says his spiritual journey has helped him lead better. And he's doing more from a biblical perspective in all areas of his life. And we talked a little bit further and I said, what's next? And we both agreed that we've both been lucky in our generations that we've been able to raise our families. And he says that that is his opportunity now that his legacy is helping the next generation to be able to enjoy. And he's devoting more of his time towards that goal. So Craig, Kathy, Nick and Sydney, thanks for hearing the whispers of God and saying yes. Miracle number three was a story that began with a phone call in the fall of 2007. I was at my office and Eric Simons called and said, I think someone that still goes to your church was in a serious auto accident earlier this afternoon. So I went online and I found the story. An SUV had been hit head on by an 18-wheeler on 421 just north of Zionsville. 
And there was a picture online taken from a helicopter of the SUV, and it did not look at all survivable. So I called a few folks that had already knew, but no one had spoken to Mark Heinzman's wife, Lori. So I was the elder chairman at the time. So I kind of held my breath and I made the call. And I was listening very carefully because I knew the first tone of the first word that I heard Lori speak would foretell the rest of what she might share. Well, the phone rang and the first sound I heard was a perky, upbeat and friendly voice just like she always is. And and I could breathe again. But she explained that although he didn't have any life-threatening injuries, he was currently in surgery and they were facing serious lower extremity injuries in an unknown but lengthy recovery process. And just recently, Mark posted in the scriptures of Facebook, and I say that in jest, just in case, on October 21st of this year, Mark wrote, They say that everything happens for a reason, and I say that God has plans for you. Well, what does that have to do with me? Well, nine years ago tomorrow, my life changed forever. And it changed for the better. I was hit head-on by a semi, and I learned a very valuable lesson. Mind you that it was a very painful lesson, but a very eye-opening lesson. I I remember kissing my wife goodbye that morning and telling her and the kids I loved them. And it was like any other day. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't. It was right in front of me, and there was nothing I could do. I remember trying to open the door, but it wouldn't open. But what I remember most was a lady passerby, a total stranger, asking if she could pray for me. And I know God put her there in the scene for a reason. That reason was for me to change my perspective on life. For me to realize that material things are not important. That my priorities in life need to be God and my family. Before the accident, I knew this. I just didn't act like it. So the message of this long Facebook post is that there's only one person who knows what your destination in life is. Today is a gift and tomorrow is not promised. So make sure you know what is important in life. Make God a part of your life and make him and your family your priority. It took a hard hit for me to realize to realize that, but when I look back, it was well worth it. I talked to Mark last week and he says he doesn't know who that lady was, hasn't had any contact since that day. Perhaps she was an angel. Perhaps in the prayers that she said with him that day, Mark heard another one of those whispers from God. And this one said, you have a second chance. And Mark says sitting in a wheelchair gives one a lot of time to think and reflect. He says that there is definitely a before and after. He is more patient and his priorities are straight. God, family, and work. That accident has given him a tremendous gratitude of appreciation for the wife he was smart enough to marry 27 years ago. He says that Lori proved that she's with him for better or for worse. And the Holy Spirit has been there, guiding Mark and the family. It's a miracle that he survived that accident, but the miracle is alive every day in the Heisman family. So Mark, Lori, Amanda, and Kyle, thank you for hearing God's whispers and saying yes. Miracle number four started with a phone call. But first, there was a phone call before the phone call. On Monday of that week, I was at the office, and Linda called me, and she asked if I knew where our neighbor, two doors down, worked. And initially, I couldn't remember, so I asked her, why do you want to know? And she says, well, his house is on fire. 
Oh. So I said, I think I'll, I'll try to think a little quicker. And so I remembered that Wayne was a CFO and worked at Deflecto. And so I made the call to Wayne and I gave him Linda's phone number and I said, hey, your house is on fire. You might want to call Linda. She can tell you all about it. Well, to shorten the story, our neighbor's house burned for almost five hours. It was in the midst of an ice storm and the ice storm pulled down a tree, which pulled up the gas lines and the house eventually burnt. And then two days later, I was scheduled to fly out the next morning to uh, be with my parents while my mother went through open heart surgery. And Linda was out up on a ladder trying to help me take down the Christmas lights. And she fell headfirst into the bushes and she shattered her wrist. And so Chelsea called me and she said, Dad, Mom wants you to come home, take her to the hospital. Chelsea, well, what happened? I don't know. Just come home. So I came home and I drove her to the hospital and dropped her off. And then I went out to the place where you registered and so forth. And I said, I suppose you probably need some information. And they said, no, she pre-registered herself. Called ahead. Only my wife would do that. So I left her with an old friend, Dr. Sexton, and he performed surgery while I went back to the office to finish up some things so I could fly out the next morning. And I went down to Florida and uh, my mom made it successfully through uh, heart surgery. And my, one of my brothers came down and took my place in Florida and I flew back and I remember unpacking for a bit. And then I walked out to the family room and I sat down and I just thought to myself, what a week. And then the phone call came about nine o'clock. And when you get phone calls at 9 p.m., those are never good news. And so on January 31st, I heard the phone ring and I couldn't get there fast enough, but I could hear, I could hear the message that was left on the recorder. And it was an anxious voice and it said, hi, Linda. This is Evelyn from next door. And Kira was in a serious auto accident earlier today. We need help with the dog, Daisy. Can you help? Well, Linda called back and found out that Kara had lost her lost control of her vehicle on Mill Creek Road. And the doctors suspected that she might be paralyzed permanently from the waist down. As Kara was driving down Mill Creek Road that day, she flipped upside down into the trees. And as she sat in the disabled crashed vehicle she saw four or five vehicles pass that would have saw her go off the road but they didn't stop and a bit later the first car stopped and it just happened to be Shelly Ald mother of Krista who goes here and Krista heard or Shelly heard Kira's screams and she and another gentleman went to the car and comforted her and they called 911 and waited until the emergency vehicles arrived and the gentleman called and got a hold of Marvin, her father, and said, you better get here fast because she might not make it. And there was a few months after the accident where we had one of those invite your neighbor to church days. And Linda asked me if I thought we should invite Marvin Evelyn, our next door neighbors. And I said, sure, but they won't go. But fortunately, Linda heard God's whispers louder than I. And she asked and Marvin and Evelyn have been coming to Prairie View for the past 10 years. Marv told me last week that they spent many days at the hospital. Marv says he spent a lot of time down in the chapel, feeling lost and confused and wondering, why is this happening? When he started to come to Prairie View, he was encouraged by the amount of folks that were praying for them. He says he's never seen a church that prayed so well. 
He said he grew up in a Presbyterian church in Rushville, Indiana, and never noticed folks praying for each other like we do here. And eventually Kara came to Prairie View, and she was baptized on August 31st, 2006. And I learned from Marv during that period of time that the doctors told, that, told Kira and, and the family that whatever her condition would be 12 months post-accident would most likely represent the level of her recovery. And she worked harder than you could imagine because she wanted to walk again. Well, dreams don't always come true. And prayers don't always get answered the way we think they should. As we all know, Kara is still in a wheelchair. But at the end of a service, about a year post-accident, I remember Kara was wheeled up front and Pastor Steve Mazingo handed her the microphone. And she said she just wanted to thank all of us for our prayers and encouragement over the past years. Instead, her goal was still the same. Still yet, she may attain that goal, but her goal was to walk. But if God intended her to be in the current condition, she was at peace and could accept that. And then she said something like this. For all of you, for all of those that have prayed so long and so hard, I want to give you a gift. And she stood from her wheelchair and her dad placed a walker in front of her and she walked clear across the front of the stage. And there wasn't a dry eye in here and everybody stood and they gave her a standing ovation. And yet she may not be able to run, jump or walk, but she is a superstar and she does more in life than many of us. She lives independently in her own house that she owns with her dog, Lucy. She works full time. She travels quite often. And in the summer when she comes over to Marvin Evelyn's, she, she boats, she tubes, and she kayaks. But most of all, she brings a smile and a word of encouragement everywhere she goes and to, every, to everyone she meets. And she said something to me last week that was just profound and I thought speaks of her amazing character. She says, you know, Rick... My accident has been harder on a lot, other, a lot of other people than it has been for me. And I see, I see that same character in our next-door neighbors, Marv and Evelyn, as they always have a house full of family and friends, and they would do anything for their family and their children. Marv and Evelyn have been through their fair share of struggles, but they live life as best they can, and they continue to grow in the Lord. And again, this is a story that in itself could be a whole message. But Marv, Evelyn, and Kira... Thanks for hearing those whispers from God and saying yes. Well, there is one more miracle I want to mention. Like the others, this one happened by accident. On July 4th, 1981, I was injured in a racing accident. And I walked into the emergency room at St. Vincent's Hospital with a lacerated elbow. And I sat down and was face to face with a triage nurse who assessed the, the wound. And she invited me to have my seat. And wait my turn. And over four hours later, I finally received the medical attention and I walked out with a repaired elbow. But there was something about that triage nurse that intrigued me. I couldn't get her out of my mind. And so three days later, I thought I would just kind of break the ice, maybe send her a text. But we didn't have the ability to text back then. So I thought, okay, I just sent her an email. They hadn't invented that yet. So maybe just face, you know, Facebook friend her, but that hadn't been invented yet. 
So I had to find this thing that we called the phone book. And I looked it up, and her name was in it. So I used this thing we still call a telephone, and I called her. And I first explored, you know, did she remember me? And she said, yeah, I remember you. You were an NBD. And I was a little nervous at the time, so that acronym just flew right over my head. And I eventually asked her out on a date. And initially she said no. But eventually my charm won her over. (laughs) Or perhaps it was her excitement on the possibility of getting to date a race car driver. (laughs) And remember when I said that some of these stories may not be exactly 100% correct? (laughs) This would be one of them. But she did eventually agree to go out with me. And on that first date, I remembered and I asked her, I said, hey, on the telephone, you said I was an NBD. What is that? She said, well, that's something we put up on the wall chart. And it assesses the urgency of of a wound or of your condition. And she says, you are an NBD. You are a no big deal. (laughs) So that's how we started out this dating relationship. And even today, when I get too full of myself, which happens quite often, she will remind me or sometimes I have to remind myself that. I am no big deal. But from that accident, a 35-year love story was born. The past 32 and a half years in marriage. And again, if we look at the scriptures of Facebook, a post at our 30-year anniversary read something like this. On July 4th, 1981, a wounded racer walked into St. V's emergency room, and the triage nurse swept me off my feet. 30-plus years later, here we are, older, wiser, lucky, and blessed. And thanks to God, my feet have yet to touch the ground. About a month ago, Linda and I went and saw the movie Miracle on the Hudson. You all know that that's the movie about when Captain Sullenberger landed on a jet airliner full of people safely on the Hudson River. Now, that was a miracle. That was a sudden and accidental miracle, I have to agree. Never happened before, and I don't think it will ever be replicated again. You see, Captain Sullenberger used all his experience, his training, his intuition, and luck But before they made contact with the water over the intercom, he came out with these three words, brace for impact. And then somehow he didn't crash into the Hudson. He landed safely on the river. Now, throughout the 32 and a half years of our flight through marital bliss, we've heard Captain Sullenberger announce brace for impact more than a few times. You see, when you put two imperfect people Especially when one of them is me. I can be stubborn and strong-minded and sometimes I'm a hard person to love. But it's through those brace for impact moments that our marriage has been tested and that we failed in our role as parents. But so far, somehow we're still here. How? I don't know. But perhaps 25 years ago, what maybe we thought we might be able to find inside the walls of a local church might help us to navigate the perils of life. Perhaps the teaching we've experienced, the accountability you've provided, the disciplines we've learned and the relationships we've cherished, those are the things, those are the things that have helped us to avoid crashing into the Hudson River. And that was going to be sort of the end of my message this morning. But I also recently finished a book called The Cost, My Life on a Terrorist Hit List. And it's about a Pakistani young man, Ali, who was a Muslim who converted to Christianity. 
And his conversion happened while he was in London visiting a sick aunt. And his aunt had previously converted to Christianity herself. And she invited him to go to her church. And he thought that would be a pretty good idea because maybe he could learn a few things that would help him convert her back to the family religion, Islam. But in that service, he said he heard God's whispers. And at the end of the service, he went to the front for the altar call. And the pastor asked him if he wanted to see Jesus, and Ali said yes. And then he vividly describes his experience when he saw the physical presence and heard the audible voice of Jesus calling him home. And when I read that, at first I felt a little jealous, because that's never really happened to me. I didn't really ever think I'd heard the audible voice or seen the physical presence of Jesus. But then as I finished this message, I realized that I have seen the physical presence and I have heard the audible voice of Jesus because I've heard him through you guys in the last 25 years. You see, my wife, Linda, she doesn't like miracles. No, she doesn't like them at all. She loves miracles. She says, if you don't see miracles, well, you're just not paying attention. And Linda and I have had the blessing of being able to go to the same local church for the past 25 years, and we've seen those miracles beyond our imagination. So I guess if I go back to the beginning of this message, I ask myself that question. Why are we still here? I think I just answered my own question. Let's pray. Dear Father, what a blessing it has been to be a part of this local church. This local church is just a small part of what you've created on this earth, where we can actually experience moments of heaven on earth. Thank you so much for these past five years, 25 years, and I ask that you continue to bless the 25 plus more years. Help us to continue to provide each other with encouragement and to shine our lights brightly so that collectively we can reflect the light of Jesus as we continue to slowly grow more like Jesus every day. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I don't know. I'm sure there's people here today that maybe haven't accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. If you've been on that highway to nowhere where every time you reach a destination... Something's missing. If you're tired of being your own boss, then I invite you this morning to consider giving in to those whispers you're hearing from God. And invite Jesus Christ into your heart and invite Jesus to be the new CEO of your soul. Jesus will get you onto the highway to heaven and he'll remake your future in a better way. So if that's you this morning, I invite you to come see me or one of our elders or call the church office. And if it takes getting up on the roof, Joe and I will take you up to the holy spot we have on the roof and help you pray that prayer. So I now turn it over to Mark. That's it.